After months of searching, Colombia has picked a new provost. President Trump has proposed his 2020 budget that may include the end of subsidized loans. And a look at the visual side of the Chronicle. Published since 1973. I'll give my life for this cause, and I will die for this cause. This is Chronicle Headlines. Since summer of 2018, Colombia has been on the lookout for a new provost. And here to talk to us today about the newly appointed provost are Casey and Knox, staff reporters for the Chronicle. Knox, can you start off by telling us a little bit of background about our new provost? Yeah, um... Marcella David is a self-described geeky humanist because she has a love for both law and uh, physics. Um, her administrative experience began at the University of Iowa. Uh, she left there in 2015 to fill the provost position at the historically black college, uh, Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University. She served there for just 19 months before FAMU's Board of Trustees ousted her and her boss. Um, who was the first female president of that school. Mm -hmm. um, so what were some of the things that you learned while doing your research about the provost? Um, she has been teaching law for quite some time. Uh, she graduated f uh, from Michigan Law School in 1989. And uh, President Kim described her as more analytical than the other candidate. Um, and when you were doing your research, did you find that Kim was looking for a female provost or did it just happen that way? Yes, he said that he was interested in having a female provost. Uh, our provost, Columbia's provost before this was Stan Reardon. Now, did he say why he wanted it to be a female or was it just, you know, like, was it a female before? Tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, so actually it wasn't a female before because, as Knox said, we had Stan Weirden. And um, Dr. Kim actually said it was during the Let's Chat that he does with students back in November. And people were asking about um, what they were looking for in a provost. And he had mentioned that he was looking for a woman just for a different perspective. And um, I actually talked to Marcella uh, yesterday. And she was telling me about how she had no idea that he had said that. And she was actually a little bit surprised by it because she thought she doesn't feel that as a woman she's bringing something different but as being like uniquely herself she's bringing something different which I thought was a really interesting and thoughtful answer. And when you spoke with her what are some of the subjects you guys touched on? Yeah so we touched on her background which Knox has mentioned she has her background with administration work as well as law and um also, just who she is as a person, you know, she was telling me about how she loves singing and traveling and photography, and she's so excited to just come to Columbia and get to know things because I don't think the arts are necessarily her territory, and she is definitely excited to delve into them and see what students have to offer. Um, when you spoke with her, did you find out um, why she wanted to be provost and kind of how she heard about like this position at Columbia? Yeah, I'm not sure how she had a, how she heard about the position, but she really is enthusiastic about Columbia. Like she has said that she used to come to Chicago a lot and she loves the South Loop and that it's her favorite neighborhood. So she knew knew of Columbia before she um, applied for the position. 
I think it was just by chance that she lucked out because she knew of Columbia, liked Columbia, and then the position opened, and I think she just went for it. But it's cool to have someone who knew about Columbia previously and wasn't just looking for a job. Yeah, no. and she, no, and, and she, uh, she was interested in Columbia specifically uh, for a few reasons, which she highlighted in her presentation uh, before she was selected. Um, she talked about Columbia's diversity being really unique and. Uh, being in the cityscape is something um, that Columbia has that other schools may not. Mm -hmm. And will she be doing anything else on campus? Is she taking on any other roles? Yeah, she's actually has been appointed a professor in the business and entrepreneurship department. However, she was telling me that until she gets acclimated with Columbia, she'll only be taking on her role as provost. But once she gets to know everything and things get like smooth with her job, and she's hoping to take on some um, roles as in teaching courses as a professor within the department. But she's not sure timeline-wise when that will be or what those courses will look like. But definitely something probably to do with law, I would assume. Um, and for people who may not know, could you guys give a little bit of background of what exactly a provost kind of does? Like, what would she do for Columbia as a provost? Yeah, so the way I think of the provost is a connector in between uh, administration and faculty. She does, her ma main job is sort of to communicate um, issues of faculty uh, or the student body to administration, um, like President Kim and, and uh, other administrative roles. And when you spoke with her, did she mention any problems or issues that she hopes to focus on. Um, yeah. yeah, I know um, she touched a little bit about communication because as we know, Columbia has a reputation for having a lack of communication with students, faculty, all of the above. And she touched on that she really would like to get to know the campus and how it works so she can learn how to create a good balance of communication between the administration and like faculty, students and stuff but it's something that she's coming into to observe first before she goes ahead and implements any changes. Now, what are some things that you hope to see from the next from our new provost? I, I hope uh, the main thing, I think, is this communication issue that we have. Um, we rely heavily on part-time faculty here. Uh, I, I think it's about a 70 to 30 ratio as far as part-time to full-time. Um, and some of the part-time faculty feel that they're underrepresented, underrepresented in, um, in, in administrative roles. And I think that the provost should be able to communicate these issues uh, to administration and, and help to solve some of these issues. Yeah, and I actually spoke with um, Faculty Senate President Sean Andrews, and he really touched on the fact that he's interested to see how the communication process between faculty senate and the new provost go as well so yeah mm -hmm. so let's backtrack a little bit who did it come down to uh the two final candidates were lourdes uh maria alvarez and uh, marcella david who was selected and was there a reason that marcella was elected over her that was mentioned publicly they didn't mention publicly why uh, Marcella David was selected, but um, these candidates were very, very different, and um, President Kim said that during 
after one of the presentations, uh, he said, Lourdes Maria Alvarez tends to lead more with an emotional awareness, whereas Marcella David is more analytic. And I thought that was really interesting. So the difference in candidates definitely played a role in the selection. And I think that Marcella David has more experience in administration in process. Yeah, and when I spoke with uh, Jasmine Bryant, who's the president of SGA, she was also a part of like the selection process. And she was saying that what really stood out to her about Mar Marcella David was that she was so passionate about Columbia and really wanted to be at Columbia. And that was something that really came across. And she thought, for, at least for her, that that made her a stronger candidate. Oh, I also like that Marcella David actually has like a lot, had a lot more experience in administration compared to Lourdes Maria Alvarez. And I think that probably stood out to the selection committee. Um, and for people who may not know, you said that um, the provost was appointed rather than elected. Could you guys kind of explain that a little bit? Yeah, so um, Dr. Kim put together a team of different faculty or staff, which also included the SGA president, um, Jasmine Bryant, as a student representative. And they all came together to listen to the talks and then finalize things and then narrow it down to who they wanted to be the new provost, essentially. And there were 19 people on that mm -hmm. committee. Um, are you guys aware of how many, can could you call them candidates, I guess, for provost? Yeah. Um, how many candidates there were originally for provost? Uh, I think that we narrowed it down from six and then to the these final two, and then eventually we got Marcella. But I do know that the search was nationwide, so I'm sure to start there were probably a lot of different people in mind for the role. All right, that's about all the questions we had for you guys. Was there anything else um, either of you wanted to add about this? Yeah, I just have one more thing. But when I was talking to Marcella, she was telling me about how her original scheduled visit to do her um, like provost talk or whatever it was during the polar vortex, actually. So it got canceled and then had to be rescheduled. And she was telling me about how all our friends in Florida were like, are you sure you want to go to Chicago? Think about that weather. And she told me that there was absolutely nothing that would keep her from coming to Columbia, whether it was weather or any circumstances, that she was just so excited to be here. And I just thought that set us off on a really good note. All right, great. Thank you so much. Again, this was Casey and Knox from the Columbia Chronicle um, speaking on the newly appointed provost. That's all for this story, but stay tuned for more. Good afternoon, everyone. Happy Budget Day. Today, we have released the President's Fiscal Year 2020 Budget. President Trump has proposed his budget for the 2020 fiscal year. It continues the President's pro-job creation policies, keeps taxes low, combats the opioid epidemic, protects our veterans, defends our nation, and secures our borders. And part of that proposal could mean the end of subsidized loans, or loans that do not gain interest while in college. Trump's reasoning behind this? To fund a new debt relief program that would forgive undergraduate student loans after 15 years and graduate student loans after 30 years. Currently, the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program is in place but could be phased out as part of the 2020 budget, but it's in place to forgive student debt. But the program has rejected 99% of applicants. My name is Bruce McClary. I'm, I'm the Vice President of Communications. McClary works for the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, 
a group that helps students with their student debt. The NFCC is a network of nonprofit financial counseling agencies throughout the country. Now I have to ask the question that's on everyone's mind. If students are taking out loans that are already gaining interest before they graduate, in the four years, so say there's a freshman who takes out a loan, in the four years from when that loan is getting interest when it would not have been previously, will it overall lead to a little bit more student debt? Oh, absolutely it can. And that's something that you have to consider, too, because uh, every, every, every one of those years, uh, considering the fact that the loan is going to be accruing interest, that's additional money that's going to be added on to the total amount that you borrowed. And during that time period, you are not offsetting the accrual of that interest by applying payments to those loans. So it is something to consider because it impacts how, how, much you're, how much you're going to have to pay over time in order to clear your student loan debt. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and, it could, and it could be thousands. Yeah, I think generally for an undergraduate student, and it's re- again, it's really hard to pinpoint this because I, it all depends on how much somebody borrows to, to finance their college education. So it's hard to pin a specific figure. Uh, but I guess if we're going to ballpark this based on a lot of unknown variables, I would say for an undergraduate, you know, maybe a thousand, it could be less. Uh, but for somebody who's a graduate student uh, who's uh, going for an advanced degree, uh, then you could be really talking about uh, thousands of dollars. Now, Bruce, I mentioned this off the top, and I am a little bit curious myself as well. I mentioned that the previous program for, for student debt forgiveness had a 99% rejection rate for applicants looking for forgiveness. Now, the language in this budget said that after 15 years, undergraduate students would be forgiven, and after 30, graduate students would be forgiven. It doesn't appear to be contingent on anything where the current program, you have to work a certain type of job or make a certain amount of payments. Does that mean student debt forgiveness is now more accessible? Right. I, it's, it's unclear, at least uh, from my perspective, it's unclear as to what this will do in terms of changing the prospects uh, that, that uh, borrowers would have for qualifying under the new system versus, uh, versus the old system. Uh, but you're absolutely right about the challenges that people face with the system that's that's currently available. Uh, but in terms of, of whether or not it will be easier for people to qualify for uh, for consideration under the new program, that uh, I think that remains to be seen. This next question needs a bit of explanation. There are a wide array of income-driven repayment plans that students can select to determine how much their monthly payments should be for their student loans. Now, the IDR plans look at things like income and family size, but under the 2020 budget proposal, all the plans would be combined into one single IDR plan that would cap a student's monthly payments at 12.5% of their discretionary income. Bruce, what do you make of this shift? So we've, and this is what we've seen at the NFCC through the student loan counseling that we offer uh, at studentloanhelp.org. We see a lot of people that are coming through that are struggling with um, repayment of their student loan debt, but they're also confused about the which plans are going to be best for them uh, because there are so many different outcomes that you could have based on the current selection of affordable repayment programs through the Department of Education. Uh, for federal subsidized student loans. So one of the things that I think seems 
to be a benefit here is that it will it will simplify the choice since you only have one uh, in terms of an affordable repayment program. But the I think the the downside of this is that affordable repayment is not going to be as customizable to someone's unique circumstances, unique financial circumstances, as it is right now, which could be uh, which could be a significant issue in terms of being able to match people with a sustainable, affordable repayment program. Now, nothing is official. This is all a proposed budget. But Bruce, what are some things students should do now? I think the thing to keep in mind there is that if you are at a point where you may have been delaying reaching out to try to find an affordable repayment plan and you're currently in a situation where you're struggling with your student loan debt, my advice would be look at look at the choices that are available right now and examine what might examine where you might plug in and what might have the uh, what might be most applicable to your situation and consider enrolling now versus waiting until after the rule change where you're going to be limited to one option. Um, because chances are there might be, there might be a plan that's available now that could be taken off the table later uh, that, that could potentially be of a greater benefit to you and help you get into a situation where, you can more affordably make your student loan payment. Is there anything else we should know about the proposed changes? Well, the other thing that I would add is that this, this also underscores the importance of staying informed. And these rule changes uh, have gotten a lot of attention. Uh, the, I'm sorry, the proposed rule changes, not the rule changes. Uh, but the proposed rule changes have gotten a lot of attention in the news recently. Stay informed, stay close to uh, uh, the updates that are coming regarding what's happening uh, with these proposed changes, what the timeline for implementation may look like, uh, any kind of uh, news that's associated with this, uh, because if there's a major decision that you're going to make in relation to your student debt, whether it's what you already owe or whether it's what you plan to borrow, it's important to stay up to date on all the developments around this issue. Bruce, thank you. The proposed changes to student loans already have some students concerned. Freshman game art major Dianaro Ocampo is scared to take out student loans. She has not taken out any yet, but soon may have to. Her family is struggling to pay for college because her family is paying for her sister's medical bills. It's just a lot of stress, like, thinking about it. Um, it's going to be hard for me and, and my mom because she's the only one working. It's going to be hard. Ocampo has noticed the cost of attending has prevented some of her friends from going to college. I actually do have friends that didn't go to college. Um, right now, they're they're only working because it's it's hard to pay all this. I, I owe currently it's my first year and I did get scholarships, but um, I owe two thousand and, and it'll just keep going up. Like maybe some students don't have to worry about it, but I think the majority of us do. Ocampo is not alone in her concern. Sophomore radio major Nicholas Strau said when student loans start gaining interest, it can negatively affect students' mental health. Because I know people who've taken out loans in their own name, and, you know, they're constantly worried about how they're going to pay it back, and it's just racking up money, and they're really hoping that they get a stable job when they get out of college. But most definitely it will. It would strongly 
it would make people feel way strongly about like dropping out or not even attending college because you know college doesn't play about not paying back loans. Strauss said the proposed budget could change students' priorities when in college. We would have to put more time, we would have to set out more time outside of school to really focus in on like getting scholarships or getting grants and things like But all of those things are things that are not guaranteed. So we would have to try to find even an extra job and putting more on our plate of reaching that level of financial stability to where you can pay back the loan. Uh, and all of that over time takes a big toll on us mentally. So if this was to, to continue out of the Forgiveness Act being taken away and more interest on loans, it will create a future of a lot of mentally unstable college students because of this financial stability that we're striving for. Here's what else you need to know about the budget. The proposed 2020 budget includes $8.6 billion in funding for full completion of a border wall on the southern border, along with other security resources. The budget is also asking for $34 billion more than it asked for last year for defense funding. And to be clear, this is not funding for endless wars. This is for research and development and procurement to fund the most awe-inspiring military the world has ever known. It's the government's responsibility to protect the American people, the homeland, and the American way of life. The budget requests $750 billion for our national defense. The budget will be voted on by Congress before being implemented. For additional reporting on the budget, go to ColumbiaChronicle.com. That's all for this story, but stay tuned for more. So for this segment, I'm here with Steven Nunez, photojournalist for The Chronicle. Hey, Steven, how you doing? Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So, Steven, can you tell us a little bit about the event that you covered? Uh, Young Gravy, to be correct, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, Young Gravy was, like, really crazy. And that was at the Metro, which is, like, in Wrigleyville on Clark Street. And um, I've always knew about Young Gravy, and I've always been interested about him because... I noticed that like he's kind of like the next generation of inspiration of Ugly God, which is another rapper. Um, and then off of that, like their energy and then the way they apply humor to like how they rap, and then their fans even come up showing up in bathrobes and like bringing all this kind of crazy stuff. And all together, just adds all this crazy energy and all the stage diving, mosh pits, like all that was great capturing. And uh, yeah, it was like really great. Even the openers too, like they were all so funny. Like. I never been to a concert where everyone was just like making me laugh. Like, it's just crazy. Mm -hmm. How did you find out about this? Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm always looking at who's coming in town and stuff like that. And even following like promotional pages like Live Nation and all these other ones. Like, I always find out. And even like people that follow me, they're like, "Oh, you should go shoot this person. You should like shoot this person." I'm like, "Okay, okay, okay." Yeah, you know, and I, I mean, you have an impressive Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Were, like, would you consider yourself a fan, or did you know who they were? Yeah, yeah, fan for sure. Like, mm -hmm. he's so funny. So, did you get to meet him, or did you? Were mm -mm. you on the sidelines? Mm -mm. I was uh, just in the photo pit, and I was in like the VIP section. But since he's like the headliner, I didn't really get to meet him. I got to meet um, one of the openers. It was Savage Rum. I met him at the VIP while I was like shooting balcony shots and stuff like that. But um, with those kind of concerts, it's like. Like, it just, like, it depends if you get lucky or not, whether, like, like before and after, if you get to, like, run into them. But um, I wish I could. Mm -hmm. And how many people would you say were there? Metro, I think, like, maybe a 1,000. 
Like, oh, I feel wow. like I feel like a thousand people. Like packed. Like, it was packed. It was so packed. Like from the balcony to like main floor, like it was packed. Mm-hmm. How did it feel being like so up close and being able to take these images? And you're also a fan. And yeah. how, what was it like? Um, every time I shoot a show, like I always for, I forget that I'm a fan. Honestly, like I always like have the mindset of like what I'm gonna look for and, and what I'm trying to do and like my goals of like what I'm shooting. You know what I mean? Because um, I don't get too excited or anything like that about it because you know like i'm very focused and i try to like keep my cool you know what i mean i always keep my cool like when i'm in the pit and then um i just do my thing and make sure i do the best that i can because it's like when you're in the photo pit in those kind of venues you do the first three songs and then you're out it's Mm -hmm. like dude like i don't want to like spend my time just like looking all within my eyes you know i need to be in the viewfinder like shooting like going gung-ho you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but uh yeah i just i just always like Keep it cool, and then after when I'm outside, like then I'd be a fan, like outside of the pit. Mm-hmm. Just a quick timeout. Um, it's like picking up when you hit the table. Just oh shoot! Me. You're good. Yes, you're good. Okay, okay. time back in. <laughs> um, going into the event, did you have any like certain images that you had in mind that you wanted to take? Angles, um, whatnot. Crowd surfing. Crowd surfing. I've always been wanting to get a good crowd surfing shot, and I know usually in the end they do something crazy. Any artist, they would do something different. That's why I know as well all these shows that I shoot. So, uh, at the Metro, you know, I shot there a lot of times. So I, I just wanted to make sure, like towards the end, like I'll be up there and then position myself in a good place to get that shot where I had him over the crowd and everyone was like reaching up on him mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And he literally crowd surfed from the right to the left side. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He started one end and ended up on the other. So awesome. I was really just like getting as much as I could, you know what I mean? So were you like yeah. trying to live in the moment, but at the same time you're like, oh, I have to get this. This is so cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So what's something about your photographs that kind of have like a Steven signature to them? Or would you even say that you have a Steven signature to your photographs? The way I edit, I would say with my photos and stuff like that. And then um one thing that makes me a Steven photo is like I really hope to capture like a moment that makes it like that signifies like the night. You know what I mean? Like I want to make take a picture that signifies like the night as of like a special moment that's like you know like the crowd surfing shot of Young Gravy. Like I want to like signify that. You know what I mean? I think that's what makes like my photos my photos. Is that like I don't know. So when fans like see my work or you know people that never even been there and they see it like my work, they'll be like, yeah, like that's like what happened basically. Like I want to take a photo that basically sums up what happened that night. Mm-hmm. And going back to that night, what was the most memorable part? Oh, dude, when he kept saying gravy, baby, like, <laughs> that's why we put, like, the caption, I mean, the, like, on the photo feature, where it said, like, gravy, baby, like, because he always says that, because the DJ be like, gravy, baby, and he's like, gravy, baby, and the crowd's like, gravy, <laughs> baby, he's like, yeah, gravy, baby. So why does he it's go just, by gravy? Uh, I think it's because he's like a basically like a country guy. He's from Minnesota. So on so, average, about yeah, how many concerts would you say that yeah. you shot before or have shot in this semester? Dude, I honestly this semester I think I've really accomplished a goal because I made sure for the Chronicle that I do a show like once a week, and I have been really up to date. You know, I have like make sure I have a whole lineup and I plan ahead. But right now I'm currently working on getting shows in April, and so far I only have one. And uh, but yeah, but this month has like just been crazy. Mm-hmm. Because uh, last night I just did Cody Shane and Baby Goth at Reggie's. And then uh, next week is uh, Quinn 29 at Riviera. So that's like the first venue, mm-hmm. like my first time shooting there. So I'm really excited for that. But 
I really make sure like I have like consistent content coming for us and uh, just like new artists, you know, that are like meant to blow. Mm-hmm. And with you being a photographer for the Chronicle, what is the most memorable show that you've taken pictures at? Taylor Bennett's birthday bash. And that was that? in January. Uh, it was special because it's like he had so many special guests come out, like all these like Chicago legends, like Stunt Taylor from uh, he was big in like 2013. He had like this uh, big song called Fifi on the Block. Like everybody knew oh, that song. Oh, everybody knows that song. Yeah, dude, it was it was crazy. <laughs> and then he also bought out like uh, Reese Nem. He has a song with Chance the Rapper called uh, What's the Hook. That song is super fire. And then he and they had Queenie. She's she's really good. And then who else they had? They had oh yeah, King Louis. He's another Chicago legend. And then um, they also brought out Supa. Uh, he was really fire too. With uh, he came out and stuff like that and performed with him. And mm-hmm. then, uh, yeah, but then what was, like, a really iconic moment that I pictured in my head, was, wait, what made it so special to me is that I envisioned this, like, before I get it, it's like, I know this is going to happen. So, like, I knew, like, Chance the Rapper and Taylor Bennett were going to perform their song called Broad, Shoul- Broad Shoulders. It's about being brothers and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, if you listen to it, it's, like, very, like, emotional. Like, I'm like, oh, my God, because I think about me and my brother. Mm-hmm. So, but I had a feeling that they're going to perform it. And then, you know, during that one point of the song, they're going to, like, hug and stuff like that. So... Right when like the piano started for the song, I was like, "Dude, I'm like this is my time. Like this is my time, right?" <laughs> so you know, like uh, this was like the end of, towards like the end of the show. So you know, I was already outside of the photo pick. You know, this was at the metro. So I made sure I put myself in a good place. You know what I mean? And it's so hard to shoot from the crowd. You know what I mean? Because sometimes like you gotta ask people to be like, "Hey, do you mind if I like come in front of you?" You know what I mean? Like it would just be for a minute. You know what I mean? And like, dude, like, every, like I was having like bad luck that night. Like, I don't know what it was, but like, everyone I kept asking they're like, nah, nah, nah. So I was like, dude, but like, luckily, like, I, I would literally like went around in like a, like a U shape around the crowd. You know what I mean? Because everyone was like so pressed up. But one person was really nice and let me go in front. And then with like my telephoto lens, uh, I was like just right there at the right time in the right moment, um, and I got the photo. And literally, like everyone was cheering, and and then I was just looking at like uh, just like the my gallery of like the photos that I recently took from that stuff, like right when everyone was cheering, and I was like, yes, I was like, this is it right here, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then um, I even posted it too on my Instagram, and Taylor Bennett posted it too, you know what I mean? And like it just blew oh, he up. reposted it. Yeah, he reposted it. That like, is yeah, awesome. Yeah. So, dude, I just knew it like right when I shot that. I was like, dude, like this is probably like my favorite photo. Mm-hmm. So yeah, follow me on Instagram at StevensJPEG. well thank you Stephen, for coming in i appreciate your time yes thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode of chronicle headlines you can check out all these stories and more in our print edition available on campus on our website columbiachronicle.com and our additional coverage on social media we are at cc chronicle on twitter instagram and snapchat and the chronicle on facebook and youtube Chronicle Headlines is made possible by the collaboration of the staff of the Columbia Chronicle and WCRX, Chicago's Underground. Under the leadership of the Chair of the Communication Department of Columbia College Chicago, Suzanne McBride, Chronicle Headlines is produced and hosted by Blaze Mesa, Kendall Polidori, and Yasmin Shika. We'll see you all next week.